Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. So this episode, we're going to hit you guys with some serious insight information, but it's probably going to be on the humorous side at first, and then we're going to get a little bit more serious, and we're going to be doing a little bit of juggling act between these two things. So, you know, I like to deem whoever I'm interviewing with a particular name. So in this episode, I'm going to deem our guest the buyer persona boss. So without further ado, Stormy, why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about who you are and what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, so, uh, you know, first of all, I'm excited to be here with you and be on the show. It's a, it's a great one. So, you know, I, my name is Stormy, Stormy Andrews, and I developed a system called the World's Best Buyer Persona System. And why did I do it? Well, it, it, 10 years ago, I started an agency located here in Las Vegas called Yoko Local. And prior to that, I was the director of sales and marketing for a home builder in the home building industry. And I remember back then when I was in the home building industry, someone introduced me to personas. And I'm like, okay, this seems pretty cool. I started building out a persona, had lots of demographic uh, uh, information. I was proud. I'm excited. I'm like, I've got this persona. I'm going to do something with it. But it was full of a whole bunch of demographic data. And after I completed it, it just sat on a shelf and we really didn't know how to execute or implement that particular tool. So it, it, it left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth as it pertained to personas. Now, during that time frame, I was also this guy that, that would travel around the country, train people on effective communication techniques, primarily salespeople. And to make sales a salesperson a better salesperson, how about we teach that salesperson how to listen better and how to communicate better with their prospect? So that was when, back in the day, when we used to meet belly to belly and speak to people in person, right? Well, then when I started this digital marketing agency, I realized that there was a huge, um, uh, basically, digital assets didn't communicate that well. They would communicate to the owner of the website. It would create, you know, it would deliver their message, but wasn't that good of a listener. It wasn't really good at getting into rapport with the intended client because it's looking at everything through the lens of the person who created the website. That was a mistake. So uh, 10 years later, uh, with many uh, revisions and reiterations of putting a system together that can make digital assets better, lo and behold, we get the world's best buyer persona system. It's really designed to help not only the digital assets, which were was the intention, but this tool has become so incredible. I've gotten feedback from sales teams and customer service departments and and even people who use the world's best buyer persona to find a mate for dating. I'm like, okay, that's not what it was intended for, but people are using it for. If you can figure out who your ideal person that you want to come in contact with, and if you understand them better than anyone else, you're going to be able to communicate better with them because you're meeting their needs, their desires head on. Uh, it, it allows you to get in rapport faster and build a better relationship. I know that was a long answer, but that's who I am. It, it was a it was a damn sexy answer, and then that's why I'm like I'm really excited to like dive into. So just 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 peel that back, right? Because you you did say a lot, and I want people to really dive into like what a, a buyer persona is. So like let's peel off all the onion layers and just get to that that one little onion bouillon. Like what is a buyer persona? 
It's a fictional representation of your ideal customer. So think of the very, very best customer that you have, where when you think about, you know, your customers and you say to yourself, like, man, I wish I had more of this type of person. You know, maybe they're pleasant to work with. They're profitable. They're, uh, they work well with you and your organization. That person who is ideal, that person that you say, I would love to have more of them. That's who it is. A fictional. So we create a fictional representation of that person and figure out how to attract more of those people while simultaneously repelling the people. And you know who I'm talking about, the people that you, <laughs> when you first took that check from them, you had that, that, that feeling in your gut saying, man, should I do this? But sales were soft. You needed the revenue. So you took that sell anyway, and you've been regretting it ever since. Yep. It's designed to repel those individuals while simultaneously attracting the people you want to do business with. Nice. So, I mean, I'm loving that. So with that, right, and obviously you're a marketer as well. In today's world, right, there's essentially two separate spaces, right? There's, there's a Google ad space and essentially is, is the Facebook ad space, right? And obviously there's Twitter, there's LinkedIn and all these other. And I, I'm defining it this way because you're talking about persona. And a persona essentially is more so psychological, is more so personality traits versus keywords and searching for particular things. So going more into the Facebook marketing space, and I love this topic because I talk a lot about understanding the algorithm and understanding that this is behavioral. Are you diving into the behavioral aspects of these personas as well? 100%. That's really what it's all about. It's it, well, Let me back up. Let, let, let me back up just a second. We're identifying some of the behavioral patterns. We're identifying, we're helping you identify what are they seeing in the marketplace as it pertains to your offer? What are they nice. being told by others? And when I say others, these are the people that they turn to for answers. What are they being told to by their friends, their families? Usually, there's the half glass full folks as opposed to the half glass empty folks. You need to know what they're being told. And then you need to know what they're doing about it. In some cases, they may not be turning to Google. They may not be turning to Facebook. They may be turning to traditional advertising, or they may be turning to their, 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 their peer network. Understanding that's important because let's say if your ideal persona does not turn to Google or Facebook for your type of solution, well, then throwing money there, maybe you can do that for a different purpose, mm -hmm. but maybe not for this purpose if you understand it. So it's also about you know, not wasting money, time, and resources on things that really aren't designed to uh, you know, deliver the result that you're looking for. Nice, nice. So let's just take it back a little bit, right? So talking about you personally, right? Like, like you're, you're a persona, right? Everyone is particularly part of some segmentation of demographic of persona. So if you could define yourself in three to five words, what three to five words would you choose? So I, I want to make sure I understand that, that question correctly because I don't, I don't know if I get the question. Defining myself as a persona for someone else looking to, to... The, the way you perceive yourself. So prime example, if, if I was to define myself, right, I would say maybe outgoing is one of those elements of my particular five words. So defining yourself, if you could choose three to five words to internally just define who you are, which three to five words would define you? You know, it's, it's pretty cool because I'm going to give you three words. And, and just to show you that I live by it, uh, for those of you that are on Zoom, I'm going to hold it up to the camera. I have an alarm that pops up on my phone three times a day, and it pops up with these words, energetic, joyful, and focused. Nice. So that's who I am. I'm energetic. I want to and, and, and enjoy. Yeah. Joy and happy are two totally different things. I'm joyful, man. I'm, I'm, I'm about having fun and just in, experiencing all that life has 
but when it's time to be focused, be focused. So what happens is uh, I set on my alarm. I learned this technique from someone. I don't remember who, but I have three different times that this alarm goes off throughout the day. And I look at it at this particular moment. Should I be energetic, focused, or joyful? Because throughout the day, I'm going to be one of those three unless I'm sleeping. Nice, nice. So, I mean, with that, with you being energetic and you being joyful and you're also dealing with personas, right? And you're teaching people on how to not manipulate but understand who their target audiences are. I would think that you've probably dealt with some pretty difficult people on your journey. So my next question is dealing with the A-type personalities or or dealing with the people like, well, that's never going to work, even though that you've seen it work before, how have... Here's a better question. What is the worst example of someone that you have dealt with in that spectrum? The completely opposite, the negative Nancy. So I'm going to back up uh, and tell you how I got here because it's it's interesting. Um, so as a kid, my dad worked for the government. Mm-hmm. And in that role, we moved a lot. And when I say we moved a lot, I mean a lot. It wasn't until my 11th and 12th grade year in high school that I experienced what it was like to go to the same school two years in a row. Sometimes two or three schools during the same school year. And when we moved, we moved to a wide variety of communities, a wide variety of communities in terms of the ethnicity of the back, uh, of the community, the, the socioeconomic status of the community, and uh, some religious aspects of the community. And when a lot of times people look at me, they don't know what I am, but, but you know, I'm a biracial guy, right? My, my um, biological mom is black, my, my, my biological dad is white. And when we moved into a wide variety of communities, sometimes people didn't know what I was. And some of the communities we moved into were pre- uh, predominantly black, some predominantly white. We just moved all over the place. But what I had realized during that time frame in some of these communities, I had to blend into these communities if I wanted to be accepted, not ostracized, in some cases not beat up, right, from a survival mechanism. So when I got my first job out of high school, I went to work for Sears when Sears used to be a behemoth in the retail industry. And it was that first job at Sears that I applied for a warehouse position, and they were like, no, we're going to put you in customer service immediately. And when I say immediately, within just a matter of, of, of weeks on the job, they put me in charge of irate customers, where I had a spot at the counter and they said, anytime someone was upset, they're like, go over to Stormy. He's the one you deal with because it was one of those, um, uh, it, it was something that I had to learn how to do naturally and extinct, you know, um, instinctual. And it just became part of my personality. I loved it. No one else liked it. And I was really, really good at it. So that became this, this natural criteria of, of wanting to understand where the other person's coming from, wanting to empathize with them. And that became a natural trait of mine. And as I developed the world's best fire persona system, I wanted to put systems and processes in place to where we can really understand where the other person's coming from. What's their viewpoint? What are their, their motivations, their triggering events? Why are they at this stage that they're at right now? When you are, uh, you know, when, when people are in a, a state of pain or confusion, which is oftentimes is the case, which is why they're looking online for solutions uh-huh. to their problem in pain, the better you can empathize with that digitally, the better your opportunities are of them picking up the phone, filling out a form because they're saying things like, oh, this person connects with me. So Going back to your answer, my most difficult scenarios of dealing with negative Nancy has been belly to belly. 
And I had lots of opportunities in those belly to belly scenarios because I was in retail for a while. And I was the person that when someone was upset, sent them to that guy. He's the guy. So it naturally became part of the process when I put the persona system together. Did that answer the question? Yeah, it, 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 it definitely did. And I like the fact that, I mean, obviously part of what you do, you're telling a story. And I think telling a story, people could visualize, right? They can see this guy. Right. And again, if you listen to the podcast, look him up and see what he looks like. So you can see that the younger version of this guy sitting behind a counter, probably with a smile on his face and everyone's coming in completely being an ass. And he converts them from being an ass to walking away satisfied, takes that information and he's utilizing it today. And what he's done is he's depicting the story of telling you that he took from his past and made it his present. And he's utilizing both storylines as a universal mechanism to get the job done. And I definitely appreciate that. And I commend you for that story for answering the question that way. So and my next question is kind of based upon that. So you have a little retail behind you. You've dealt with irate customers for a long enough period of time. Going into your business, like, like how did that come to fruition? Like, how did you go from being in that space to eventually owning an agency and creating books and leveraging the understanding of personas? Okay, so... Wow, you know, the, the, this podcast isn't that long, so I'm not going to keep everyone here on this podcast for a day. They don't have 24 hours to listen to this show. But from that customer service role, I eventually went into commission sales, went from Sears, and then I went to electronics. You know, I'm a young guy, right, selling TVs and, and, and TV big screens. And eventually, and, and I worked for a lot of the large consumer electronic retailers, Good Guy, Circuit City, Ultimate Electronics. Well, when... Uh, when I got to, and in and, and each of those locations, I was the top dog in the store. I was selling more than anyone else, not because I was a better salesperson. I was just better getting into rapport with people faster. Mm. And I, the, the last company I worked with in retail was Ultimate Electronics, and it was a large uh, uh, consumer electronics retail train. I was the number one salesperson in the nation, you know, making six figures, selling TVs, DVDs, and camcorders, not working weekends, not working evening, pretty much by appointment only because I, was able to get my clients into this warm and fuzzy feeling that they didn't want to do business with anyone else other than me. And they felt that their friends and family shouldn't do business with anyone else other than me. There were times we would, I would have dozens of customers in the store at the same time, just waiting for me. And I had other customers helping my customers where I'm bouncing in between them, greeting nice. them and talking to them accordingly. Well, one of my managers, when I was at Circuit City, went into the home building industry. And when he had a problem in the home building industry, he came knocking on my door and he said, Stormy, I got to take you out of retail. I'm like, Bob, why would I want to do this? I've got a good six figure salary. And this is in the nineties selling electronics. I don't work weekends. I've got no brain damage. He says, I need you to work for me. I need you to, to be my sales manager. You're the most incredible person at this. And if you can train my salespeople to do things the way you do it, we can do some pretty incredible things. So he convinced me, I went into the home building industry and I quickly grew from uh, initially a salesperson groomed to become a sales manager. I became the vice president or really the director of sales and marketing uh, within the home builder uh, that, that, that uh, you know, I worked for. And it was pretty awesome. You know, it was a, it was a great scenario. But then in, in 2008, we had the housing crisis that hit the nation. I live in Las Vegas and Las Vegas was considered the epicenter of the housing market crisis. I worked for a private home builder and I would go to the owner. Her name is Gidget. I'm like, hey, Gidget, I got bad news for you. We just sold a home. Think about this. I got bad news for you. We just sold a home. 
Why is that bad news? Because now I'm saying, Gidget, in order for us to get out of this home, I need you to write a check for $47,000, dollars $60,000 just to get out of the property. So she says, I can't continue with this. We've got to close down. Mm. At that point, uh, I said, let me take my sales training into the mortgage industry, which is what I did. I became the vice president of a, of a mortgage bank. And that's where I met my business partner. He was someone that anytime I would look online for anything mortgage related in Las Vegas, I'd see his picture on the front page and the top position. And I knew how difficult that was because I was the person hiring these agencies to work for me. And I didn't like, I didn't like the relationship because I had a series of agencies working for me. They'd all point the fingers. No one would accept responsibility when things weren't working right. I wanted to meet my business partner who was Daryl. I thought, uh, he was an incredible marketer based on the results that I saw. Mm -hmm. We developed a friendship. We cultivated that friendship and we knew that the Las Vegas market was hurting. So we decided to, to join forces and see if we can go out and help these small businesses, help them make better decisions because we knew that there was a lot of people out there giving bad advice, giving bad information, pointing people in the wrong direction. And people were intimidated by this thing called the internet. So that was back in 2010. We started Yoka Local, and, and the rest is history. Nice, nice. So, I mean, that kind of leads me to, and then again, we're, we're planting these little breadcrumbs, and we're just following the story, right? So in perception, right, 2020 is hindsight. Anybody that's listening to this podcast may look at you and say, okay, he has a pretty decent story, but we want to put it into like a time reference, right? Because, again, you may be a perception of overnight success, but in reality, how long did it take you to get to where you are from start to finish? Well, if you look at, at, at Yoko Local, we're, we're 11 years into it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just from beginning, you know, from starting an agency to becoming the largest HubSpot Platinum partner uh, or to becoming a, a Platinum agency partner with HubSpot and the number one agency located within the state of Nevada. But in order for that to happen over the last 11 years, it required an incredible amount of real world knowledge working with people. You know, I took you back to me working at Sears. I'm 17, freshly out of high school. Let's go back before that. I'm a kid that's moving around from community to community, figuring out how to blend into various communities because sometimes when I didn't do it well, I got my teeth knocked in, right? It just didn't work out too well. You know, I was punished for it. So I, I've probably been, been working in a real world scenario, not uh, theoretical or, or, or putting pen to paper in, in, in books, uh, uh, figuring out the way things should be. I was living it. You know what I mean? For me, it was all about survival. And I had real world results. I had real world results when I'm dealing with people belly to belly. And as we started applying this process and systems to the world of digital marketing, like, hey, this is working also. And even the system that's inside the book of the world's best buyer persona system, it looks like, okay, you've got a two-page worksheet and you've got some other things that I'm doing. Well, even that was just seven years of me working different uh, uh, versions of the world's best buyer persona system to get something that I felt that was going to work, then apply it to my clients to see if it works, then make tweaks and changes and modifications. So I can't tell you the amount of countless hours and energy and effort. And then I've been blessed because I own an agency. So I had employees that work for me that have a wide variety of expertise and knowledge. So Putting this world's best buyer persona system wasn't just me. We look at, at some of the employees that brought valuable insights to this. One was uh, a, she was a, a, she had her master's in marketing and she was an intelligence officer for the Air Force. Uh, you know, what she brought to the table was incredible. Another one 
who helped me put the, 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 the process together is responsible for over 50,000 pieces of written content that's on the internet. That, that, that's pretty incredible. Another person that, that uh, the employees that helped me put this together has a degree in psychology plus a master's in marketing. We were able to work through some of the uh, uh, bottlenecks that we ran into. Another one even had his had his degree in economics. So, and then my business partner Daryl, who's an incredible marketer. So, even though I get to take credit for it because it was my idea, my concepts, there were many times that I ran into roadblocks that I just couldn't work through. But I had I, I was fortunate enough to be able to turn to a team that I work with on a daily basis, where we were able to work through these together, put it out, try it, see if it works, and when it worked, okay, we need to make that part of the system. Brandon, I think one of the things that, that, that you alluded to, and it's kind of like blending these, these multiple different time frames together, right? You were saying as a kid, you know, being multiracial, you, you had to figure out the commonalities between yourself and where you lived at the time. And then when, when that was a mistake, you got punished for it. You know, you, you're saying you got your teeth knocked out. So I'm thinking about like that. That's real world examples of what marketing and sales and business really is if you could find a common denominator with the person that's in front of you right and you're going back to your empathy statement if you could figure out the pros and cons or what problems they have and how you can solve their problems you've been doing that since a kid but you had to learn the hard way so my question is do you think that being multiracial was a helpful factor in hindsight looking back being that you had those experiences at such a young age absolutely 100 percent and I'm going to take it back a step further. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, when I look at myself, I knew that there was something in me. I just didn't know what it was, right? The, the, um, the, I just found, I'm 51 years old. Just last year is when I found out that my biological dad was white. Prior to that, I thought my biological dad was black. So I just thought I was a light-skinned black guy. I didn't know I was, bi you know, totally biracial until some information I found out last year. Obviously, I knew there was something just looking at me, yeah. but there were some things that happened to me last year. I'm like, wow. So with that being said, growing up, I just thought I was a light-skinned black guy. That was me. But where, so, so the answer is it absolutely helped me. And, and where it really impacted me was when I moved down south. Uh, you know, moving from the West Coast to down south, that was a different experience because when I was in the West Coast, there was these blended communities. Inside the schools that I went to, there was a wide variety of, of people from a wide variety of backgrounds. Well, when I moved down south, it was a scenario that half the school was white, half the school was black. When recess happened, they went in two different directions. There was no blending in in this particular community that I was located in. And it was an interesting dynamic because you weren't it wasn't encouraged that you blend in uh, the, you know, the, um, and, and that's, that, that was the culture at the time in, in the early eighties in this Southern city, Pascagoula, Mississippi. And I had this dynamic because I couldn't really go over and play with the black kids because I wasn't black enough. I couldn't go over and play with the white kids because I wasn't white enough. And I'm the only kid that was me, that there was no such thing. I was like this anomaly. So having to work my way through that scenario, that's where it became tough. That was in, in, early, in elementary school is when it, it was phenomenal training for me moving forward because I became more aware of different situations and places that I had uh, that I found myself in mm -hmm. so I can navigate them with as little pain or problems or issues as, as, as possible. I mean, I think I think it's a beautiful. Because I mean, to to your point, right? In society, in the world that we live in, right, in, in the society that we live in right now, you could have took 
exactly what happened to you and you could have been completely on the other side of the tracks. You could not have mastered the understanding of personalities and personas. You could have been kind of like the evil mastermind behind like catastrophes, you know what I'm saying? Train crashes, being like the Mr. Glass behind the scene mad the world. So I definitely like the fact that you kind of took the negative and turned it into a positive and you're utilizing that positive to teach other people on how to figure out these personas. So my next question, right? Even with all that, right? I mean, Obviously, who you are right now, I don't think you would probably want to change any bit of where you are. But if you can go back in time and, and play devil's advocate and whisper something in your ear, 30 seconds, and change one particular path, what would you whisper in your ears at any time in, in the past 51 years? Listen to the old people. Hmm. You know, if I can go to one thing, I'm like, if, they, if they're older than me, they're wiser, they have more experience, listen to them. Because there was a time frame where I'm sure many youngsters go through it. There was a time frame where I knew everything and I was shocked to find out the world didn't revolve around me. What's this all about, right? Yeah. So uh, what I had, if, if I could go back, you know, besides telling myself, hey, buy some Microsoft, buy some Apple, you know, one of those types of scenarios, even more important than that, listen to the people with experience. I, I don't care about their background, their race, their religion. They have the experience and experience there's something that comes from experience you simply can't get from a book. Mm. Books give you knowledge, which is extremely important. And when you take the knowledge that you get from a book and apply it with the experience that the elders can provide you, it's incredible. That's where my greatest ahas and insights have come on. But the problem was I didn't start even realizing the value of those insights, of that wisdom, and, and, and probably until my, I, I was in my 30s. You know what I mean? I wasted the 20s because... I, I was too smart for my own good. Hmm, that's very, definitely interesting. So, I mean, with that, right? So you're saying that you didn't realize who your dad was until, you know, within a fraction of your life. You were obviously raised by your mom. So my well, next question is... And I was raised by my stepdad, you know, but and I knew yeah. he wasn't my biological dad, but the person who I thought it was, and my biological dad was awesome. He raised me as, as if I were his son. So, mm -hmm. you know, we moved all over the place and I consider him to be my dad because he raised me, you know, as his son. But there was another gentleman that uh, I had believed to be my uh, biological dad until my mom shared with me just this past, you know, last year. That's not the case. Interesting. So my question is, is regarding that, including like like your stepdad, like you're, that you're saying that obviously he raised you, right? Somewhere along this line, somewhere in this journey, right? somebody had to influence you as far as being an entrepreneur. So my question is, so if it wasn't your biological father, who was it? Was it your stepdad? Was it your mom? Was it somebody in the neighborhood? Like, where did you get this entrepreneurial insight from? So I was always an entrepreneur. I was the guy in school selling bubble gum when you weren't supposed to, you know, bubble gum and cinnamon <laughs> sticks and, and uh, report cards. <laughs> you know, I was this, yeah. this entrepreneur Throughout school, you, my, my parents, you know, some of the communities that we moved into, and I think this is what happened. My parents um, didn't allow me to have a job while I was in school. So that was off the table. And some of the communities we moved into, some kids had some really nice things. And I'm like, I wanted some of those nice things. My parents weren't necessarily going to get me all of those nice things. So if I wanted them, I had to figure it out on my own. And I, I had to be a little ingenious. So when we lived in Mississippi, I would go uh, on the weekends, I would go crabbing, get crabs, and then I would go door to door and sell crabs. Nice. When we were 
that that was the resource I had available to me. When I was in, you know, and, and uh, you know, in California, I had another business happening in the school and, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the summer camps. Every, uh, uh, you know, situation I was in, I would just naturally, instinctively look for what's the opportunity that I can put in place today to do something. Now, with that being said, let me share. So then I became an adult. I had an incredible uh, career in sales. I decided that because I was extremely successful in sales, I could start a business. First business I started, failed within two years. Next business I started, failed within six months. Next business I started, failed within nine months. Next business I started, failed, failed. So there was lots of failures along the way, going back to your journey. And each one of those, I don't consider to be fails, failures. I consider them to be wins because I learned something and I learned uh, that I was deficient on some skill sets I needed in order for me to go in business for myself. I went back to the books, like the books behind you on the shelf. What are the skill sets that I'm missing? You see, I had the sales skills. I didn't have the business acumen. I didn't even understand what I was doing or while I was doing it. As a kid, you can get away with that stuff. You know what I mean? You can do, you're a kid. You don't have any responsibilities. So there were uh, uh, situations and scenarios that um, I found myself in that I didn't know how to navigate through which caused the business to, to go under. I'm like, I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen again. I fix it. Let me start another business. Oh, I get past that hurdle. There's another hurdle. So uh, there's been lots of these incredible learning opportunities along the way. Well, I mean, I'm just just saying, I mean, obviously it's kind of hard to, to, to say when you look at someone dead in their face and they're hitting a hurdle, right? And telling them to kind of look at your legacy, look at your look at your time frame, look at what you've been through. And for you to be where you are, I mean, you're you're, you're depicting it very clearly. I mean, you've always been a salesperson, point blank period. And not only are you always been a salesperson, but you've always understood the factors of solving people's problems. Like you said before, you went and got crab because you know people want to eat crab and it was easy for you to get access to that opportunity. And then from that opportunity, you went to another one, to another one, to another one. So my next question is like, you have all these different things going on. You have all these different business opportunities and all these different hurdles. And anyone that's an entrepreneur that family life becomes a little bit of an issue when you're juggling that many things. So how are you currently juggling like your family life with your current hustle? So it's, um, you know, my, you know, fortunately I'm 51. So my children are older, you know, my oldest son's 28. My youngest is 24. They get to live their own lives, right? So I don't have the, the children thing. Uh, and, and for those of you that do have children, I'll circle back to that in a second. My granddaughter is four years old, but I'm a granddad. I get to spend the time with her that I want to spend with her and then <laughs> send her back to you know her parents. And my, um, my significant other, she also owns an agency, she owns a business. And for me, that's incredibly important because she's also, you know, she has that entrepreneurial mindset. She gets, if we're uh, out to dinner and something comes up that that's urgent that I need to take care of, it's not an issue, you know, same with her. So having that mate, you know, having that partner, not really mate, having that partner that is in, at, at a, a similar mindset and understanding that deals with the same trials and tribulations and issues is incredible. She is an incredible person in the support that she's able to give me. And then also I being able to provide her because she runs, you know, she has her own sets of problems. So we get to work through those together. The 
you know, if we go back to a traditional, you know, a, a, a traditional relationship where, hey, I've got, uh, you know, it's a husband and it's a wife, you got little kids at home, there needs to be some sort of a balance that you can agree upon that works for everyone involved. Because if you're saying, hey, I'm just going to work 60, 70 hours a week because I, my goal is to put food on the table and that's it. Well, you'll get food on the table, but it's not going to have, it's not, it, it probably will not give you the balance that will even, that gives you the satisfaction to perform as well as you can in the professional sense. You know what I mean? Having a healthy work balance is incredible. My, um, you know, my, my, my fiance, what she says to me is, is, you know what, Stormy, here's a problem with a lot of people. And I think this is a profound statement. Don't know where she got it from, but I love it. She says, the problem with most people are is throughout their lives, they'll end up sacrificing their health in order to gain wealth. As they be, get older, now they have to give back that wealth in order to try and regain their health. That's a powerful statement. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And, and that's a model. So being able to, uh, um, you know, stop and smell the roses and take yeah. a break and enjoy the finer things in life makes what you do that much more worth it and gives you the ability to focus on it when you need to focus on it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense for me because I mean I, I don't know how much of my story you know, but you know, in 2018 I had a stroke, so I I, I was the, the representation of that work yourself to death and then wake up and realize that holy shit, what have I been doing for the past 15 years working myself to death? So right, yep, yep, yep. So going into like my next question, like I mean, based upon that, like you're talking about health, you're talking about balance, and I would think that you're a very structured individual. So what does your morning routines look like? So. You know, for me, you know, I'll wake up, uh, I take a look at Sean, and, and I think she's just like the most beautiful person in the world. So that, that, that's inspiring to me. Uh, but typically, I'll get up in the morning, I'll do my stretches, I'll do my exercises, and then I'll listen to something that's inspirational. And not just inspirational, like, hey, it's an inspirational message. Sometimes I'm listening to a podcast or a book while I'm in the shower, brushing my teeth, getting ready. Maybe it's on, on, on what's happening in particular companies that I follow. Uh, maybe it's, it, I'll, let me tell you what it's not. It's not the news. Okay. It's not the news. That's what it's not because there's the, the news is designed to uh, bring you down, you know, for that day. It's designed to put thoughts in your mind that aren't beneficial for the day. But the mornings that I find an inspirational story through some of the audiobooks that I listen to or podcasts or YouTube channels, those are the days that I seem to be the most productive. Nice. But it's not just, hey, let me put this on this day and I'm going to be productive. If this is something you've never done before, here's what I challenge you to do. Pop on something that's inspirational, that, that, that is motivational, whatever it is for you. Do that for a few weeks. Watch how that starts to change gradually. And then it gets to the point where it turns into this drug that you can't live without. And it's an incredible drug because it allows you to perform better, not just better and more productive, but you, you, you have this feeling in your gut where it's more mm. gratifying gratifying and satisfying. That's not just my experience. Others that have taken me up on this challenge, they felt the same thing. And this isn't something that I developed or come up with. This just words of wisdom that I heard from someone else that I'm regurgitating with you. And it was incredible. And the times in my life where I've gotten away from it, where I got caught up in one of those news cycles, and I want to follow this news cycles for a while, man, it, it, it's, it's, uh, I can't get those hours back. I think, I think it is, it, I'm happy that you brought that up because this is, probably one of the reasons why I'm a, I'm a podcaster in, in, in all reality is being able to 
like you said, to, to modify your day, to modify your state of mind. And somebody has asked me that question before, like, what does my morning routines look like? And to, to your point, we're so similar. It's crazy. Like waking up and while I'm in the shower, I'm using like I got an Alexa toothbrush and it has a built in speaker in it. So I'll just say open up audio book. So while I'm brushing my teeth, I'm listening to a book or to your point, I'm leaving and I'm going to get a cup of coffee and having another device there. And I'm constantly listening to all this information. So because of that, I created a book club. And to your point is to kind of get people to read books on a routine basis, read a book per week. Here's how to read a book per week. So my next question is towards you in far as your book reading. And it's a three part question. Question number one is what books would you want to recommend that you've read on your journey to get you to where you are? Question number two is what books are you reading right now or audio books? What, what books are you listening to in the morning while you're in the shower? And then part three goes to the book that you've written and what other books have you written besides the best buyer persona? Okay, let's start. So some of the books over the years, yeah. um, you know, if we go back on my journey, I was a salesperson. So when I was a salesperson, I wanted to read sales books. And I was probably most influenced by Zig Ziglar. Uh, I, I probably read maybe not all of his books, but a big chunk of them. I would listen to him on audio CDs and audio cassettes. He was my man. Uh, I was also introduced to Earl Nightingale. He was the first person that I was introduced that gave me more of a sense of purpose as it pertained to life. So he was extremely influential. So those two were the two that started the journey for me. And, you know, uh, so if you never listened to Earl Nightingale, go get some audio uh, of, of, of Earl Nightingale or Zig Ziglar if you're in sales. But those were my foundational components, which set me forward. Then what happens is, you know, over the years, I would look for, or I would typically read books depending on my state of mind at that particular mm -hmm. period of time. Some of the books that I've read, one that you have that I noticed that you have, which I thought was a great book when I was dealing with a tough time in my life, was You Can't Hurt Me. Um, and I noticed that on your book club, if you haven't read, if you're dealing in a difficult time and you're just feel tough, worn out and beat up, man, Can't Hurt Me was extremely inspirational to get you through this. Would you agree with that? It's until you listen to that book. I mean, I, you can't even comprehend like the story that's being told in that book. To so, to your point, I mean, it's definitely influential, motivational, and everything else under the sun. Absolutely. So you know that was awesome. And then you know other books that I thought you know. So a book that I've recently read that I thought was incredible, based on the current events, is called Post Corona by Scott Galloway. Mm. I'm not sure if, you, if you've read that book or if you're familiar with it. It's a New York Times bestseller. But uh, Scott Gall uh, Galloway is a NYU business professor, but not just a professor. He's a, a gentleman who's done it. Um, he's a, an investor in, in, in many companies. He's a, a thought leader. He started many businesses that he sold for umpteen millions or billions of dollars. So it's a person that has done it. Now he's teaching it, which is a lot different than someone who's just teaching it and has never done it, right? Yep. And for sure. uh, in that book, which I thought was pretty incredible, he's looking at how Corona has changed the world, how it's uh, moved us in many industries 10 years. You, you know, we've had 10 years of advancement in this short window because we were forced to do it. Understanding that for me, because remember, I'm the, I'm the buyer psychology guy when it comes to personas. Uh, I have a craving. And when I got the book, I got the book because I wanted to see, you know, how does he perceive consumer behavior changing? That was my purpose for it. But the book was so much more. It, it, it shared so much more because it shared how business changing, how he expects Twitter to change, which I won't, you know, in some other large companies that you're familiar with, how they're going to change because of the coronavirus. So I think that's extremely important information 
for you to know if you're in business or thinking about going in business, what the world looks like today may not necessarily be what the world looks like tomorrow. You should know that. You know, Wayne Gretzky used to say when they in his interviews uh, how he was such a good hockey player. And, you know, his statements were, were simple. He says, listen, I don't look where the puck's at. I want to know where the puck's going and get there before other people. Okay, great, uh, <laughs> you know, great statement to live by. Yeah. So the an, another great book that I thought is, um, oh, my gosh. Um, I, um, um, oh, my, it'll come back to me in a second. But, oh, and Napoleon Hill. I can't believe I'm leaving Napoleon Hill off of this. Man, I'm not forgetting about Napoleon Hill. So after Earl Nightingale, Zig Ziglar, I got into Napoleon Hill, Anthony Robbins, all the, you know, these other people. Napoleon Hill, his foundation, um, you, you know, in his foundation, you know, since his passing, they've been kicking out, you know, a lot of new books. So look at the things from Napoleon Hill and don't think, oh, this is Napoleon Hill. This is some old stuff. I don't need to pay attention to it because there's some incredible incredible teachings of you know from napoleon hill one that i'm uh, uh, reading right now is called something greater and i'm loving it i'm into the audiobook i'm on audible there's just a little it's just one that that I, i'm into other books that have influenced me for my life uh born a crime by trevor noah that was a book that i related with because of my background that i shared with you i thought that was uh extremely you know, ex ex extremely beneficial. So those are some of the books that I've been into as, as of recently, recently that I like to recommend to your audience. The one I would like to give the greatest recommendation to is my book. Oh, but before I get to this book, the first book that I was able to participate in happened in 2008. Mm -hmm. And in 2008, I was able to co-author the book, Power of the Platform, Speakers on Success. Mm -hmm. And I was able to write a chapter. Uh, each of the authors contributed a chapter to the book. But the people I wrote the book with were Jack Canfield, Brian Tracy, Les okay. Brown, Dr. Tony Alessandra. So being able to be in that company was pretty awesome. And it launched my speaking career because the book became, uh, uh, we won a best anthology from USA Book News that year. And I was able to book several speaking events on more effective communication techniques. I'm, a law, I'm also a licensed practitioner in neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, and that helped me take a lot of the things that were happening on the non-conscious level and articulate them into the teachings within the book, The uh, um, uh, Power of the Platform, and that ultimately led to the world's best buyer persona. So the world's best buyer persona system, this is the book that uh, was released last year. It's been it's received incredible reviews. Intercon named me one of the top 50 tech visionaries in the world because of the, the, the teachings that's inside this book. And really what it's designed to do, I walk you through the process of documenting what your ideal customer looks like, how they think, how they process information, what their triggering events are, what they're seeing in the marketplace, what you should, how they would see you and what your positioning factors would be as it pertains to that person and how you can help them along their buyer's journey. And when you, the, the better you are at seeing the world through their lens instead of your own lens, the more of those people you're going to attract to your business. So that's the book, The World's Best Buyer Persona System. So being able to document that system uh, was extremely important to me because when larger organizations come to me and they want me to work with them, it's, you know, they're investing thousands upon thousands of dollars of working with me one-on-one -on -one to do this. Let's put it in a book format. Let's do an online course for people that, that aren't necessarily 
learners from books. They like to see, uh, they, 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 they like to be not necessarily handheld, but they're more of a kinesthetic learner. I even have a, a, online learning platform where I'll walk them through videos of live training sessions mm-hmm. by walking through the process with the electronic worksheets that they can go through or the book's the easiest route to do it. Well, I, I'm definitely sold, man. Where do I get my signed copy? Okay. Yeah. I, we're going to make sure we get a copy out into you the mail. Uh, I've got some books that I'm sending out today. So when this is done, you send me your mailing address and you're going to have it in the mail shortly. Perfect. So for, for our listening audience, I mean, obviously it's on Amazon and like, where else can they find this book? Wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, wherever you go online to buy books, Amazon's probably the easiest. Uh-huh. So, uh, but maybe you don't shop at Amazon. Get it from wherever books are sold. You can find it. Nice. nice. The other thing is I, I have for your listeners, I have recently, I've completed some electronic worksheets that can walk you through the process. Recently, I've completed some tools that marketers can use to help them grow their business. One is called the marketing wheel that I get lots of positive feedback from. So I have a website called outsmarttools.com. If someone were to go to outsmarttools.com, there is a link. If you wanted to reach out to me, there's a link there, but there's also a link to Amazon where you can buy the book. There is a link to the marketing wheel exercise. There's a link to the worksheets that you can get a hold of before you buy the book. So I put all the resource inside of Outsmart Tools to make it easy for you to go to one location, get resources, see if you like what I have to say. There's plenty of videos and, and tools that you can access and dive into and use. And if you like what you see, buy a copy of the book or reach out to me. Nice, nice. Very, very nice. So, I mean, even with, with that, I mean, obviously you've been on this, this persona sales, the fact that you even d- dove into the psychology. And that's one that when I get that question, if I can go back in time and change one thing, I've always now deemed to say, you know, if I would go back, I would take up psychology and I would stalk Sigmund Freud. I would understand Sigmund <laughs> Freud in and out because that is where we are and will always be. It's the human factor of psychology. So where do you see yourself 20 years from now? So 20 years from now, so where, where I have my greatest joy is being in front of a group of people, being in front of an audience, sharing whatever wisdom I, I not, it, whatever wisdom and knowledge that I have that can benefit others. So that's what I've noticed. If, if an organization called me tomorrow and said, Stormy, we want you to travel to Badunkadunk, wherever it is, and we want you to speak to our group on the world's best buyer persona because we believe you can help our group. I'm on the airline website. That's where I find the greatest joy. So 20 years from now, if, if we take a time machine at this moment, uh, August 3rd, uh, you know, 2041, I'm on some stage somewhere speaking to people, meeting people, being able to learn about their life experiences, sharing my life experiences and and giving them tools to make their life and the things that they do easier, more enjoyable. Wow. I mean, so, so with that, right. I mean, you're you're talking about still helping people. It's like, like the core of what you've been talking about this entire podcast, more so than persona, more so than being multiracial, more so than overcoming hurdles and educate. It's that you're designed to help people like night in and, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You're, you're absolutely right on the money. Here's the thing. The world, it's hard. It's hard as hell, right? It's hard. And, and some people, they're fortunate enough where they have the tools, the resources, they get it, right? Whatever. Yeah. Some don't. So, you know, some do, some don't. 
I believe that, and not that, that I believe, but I've got the, the data to support it. I've got a tool that uh, I've been blessed enough to put together that's designed to help people that need this type of help and to help them take their game to the, the next level. So if this is one less worry that they can have, they got enough worries with all sorts of other stuff that's happening. So yeah. you're absolutely correct. I get the most joy and gratitude when I'm helping people. I get incredible joy when I get a phone call or an email from someone that uh, took my information from a year or two ago or or a, whatever the time frame may be a week ago and they let me know and they share their story how it's impacted them and how it's changed them and their lives I, I can't tell you how rewarding you, you know how rewarding that is it's extremely rewarding and gratifying and satisfying it's one of those things to where when I do go to my grave and, and I can think back and say man was my life worth it did I impact other people did I change lives did I take people to new heights I can say absolutely now even if that happened two minutes from now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I want it to happen two minutes from now, right? But I feel extremely joyful about the life that I've been able to leave and not because of the life I've been able to leave, but the lives I've been able to impact uh, through this journey that I've been able to have on this planet. Hmm. Yeah, there's so much, so much positivity and what you said. And I think one of the things coming into this conversation, you were talking about like the tools and you've created a tool. So what tool, right? for you personally that you use it. It can be a software tool. It can be, you know, hardware, but I would say more so in software spectrum. What tool do you use on a day-to-day -day basis that you would not be able to do what you're doing without? Audible. Hmm. You know, Audible, that's where uh, I, I don't have as much time to read books, mm -hmm. but I always have time where I can pick up a minute here, two minutes there, 30 minutes on a car ride. Audible is the greatest thing ever. So if I had to give up you know, tools in that regard for my personal selves, it's audible. When it comes to business, you know, in terms of my agency, it's HubSpot. That's been a, a an incredible tool for our agency to help take our agency to new heights. So uh, in, in terms of creating a better experience for our clients, and then also, you know, we use HubSpot, then, all, you know, being able to take those experiences and implementing HubSpots for other agency, or not other agencies, just other businesses, so they can get the same type of results that they had already are always dreamed about. You know, right now we're we're on a podcast here. One of the things that I look at here, you know, I, I real man, I can't change. I was going to show you if, if you use my marketing wheel exercise, mm -hmm. uh, the, the marketing wheel exercise. Well, when I think about marketing, I break marketing into eight different components because right now marketing for most people is this overwhelming subject that, that just makes their brain want to hurt because they just think of it as this marketing, right? Like if someone said, I want you to build a car. Well, if you're thinking about all the complexity that knows to, that, that, that goes into building a car, that makes it pretty difficult. But if you just say, okay, listen, I want you to go and acquire some tires. Okay, that's one step. Let me go acquire tires. Now I want you to go acquire an engine. Let me go find an engine. You know, if you can think of it and break it down into bite-sized chunks, it makes it significantly more manageable. Make sense? Definitely so makes perfect sense. The, the marketing, well, the way I see marketing, I see in eight different parts, which I'll share with your audience. There's awareness, right? Are people even aware of your brand? And what's your strategy to get people to become more aware of your brand or your products or your goods and your services? What does that strategy and that strategy look like alone? Don't think about anything else. How can you get more people to become aware of your brand? So I have them go through a self-audit exercise where they rate themselves on a scale of one to five. Five, they're saying they're a rock star. One, non-existent. Three, they're average. Two, below average. Four, above average. Pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Well, then what happens is wherever you land, let's say you give yourself a three. What steps can you put in place to take that three to a four? What would that look like? What are you going to measure? What's your definition of success? 
Well, you know, how are you going to document that journey and what tools and tactics are you going to use? Just awareness, nothing else. That's one part of marketing. Then that same methodology and that same mindset, you apply it to the next step, which is engagement, right? Are people engaging with your brand? Then from engagement, the next step would be lead generation. You know, what's that strategy look like? From lead generation, then it turns to conversion optimization. How are we going to convert some of those leads into customers? From that step, there's something I call a wow. A wow is once someone does business with you, once they write a check, give you a credit card, however you want to see it, what are you doing to wow them, to make them feel warm and fuzzy that, yes, I've selected the right person to do business with because guess what? Unless you're selling 25 cent widgets, and in some case, you may be selling 25 cent widgets, when they decided to do business with you, there may be multiple other people that they were considering to do business with at the same time. And if they were doing that, there's possibly some fear, some trepidation, wondering if I made, you know, some apprehension, if I made the right decision. So how can you wow them? What systems and processes can you put in place to make them form, feel warm and fuzzy as early as possible after they write the check? So then we, you know, we have the wow factor. Then from wow, we go into customer ladder. What systems and processes do you have in place to take your customers and turning them into clients, turning your clients into advocates of your brand and your advocates into raving fans? What's the difference? A client will come to you. I mean, a customer will come to you once. A client will come back to you if they need your goods and services, at least your first of mine. An advocate will tell others about you when asked. A raving fan will stand on street corners and sing you praises. Much better person to have. So what does that process look like? What are, what, what's that documented journey look like? What is the definition of success to move you up? So from there, customer ladder, the next thing is reviews. What have you got going on in regards to reviews and testimonials? If I'm a stranger of your brand and I go look you up, what am I going to see as compared to competitors that offers your goods and services? Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if you believe you're a rock star. If I see your competitors are better reviewed, better rated and all this other stuff, well, they're going to have an edge on you. So what does that look like? The next stage is referrals. What's happening there? So if you look at marketing in those eight areas, all you really need to do is say, okay, what area can I focus on today that's going to give, that's going to move the needle the greatest, that's going to give me the greatest impact? Focus on that needle. Don't worry about all that other shit. Or don't worry about all that other stuff, right? Just focus on that needle. Get that to the next stage. Then you look back at it. You come back to that marketing wheel and say, okay, that worked out pretty damn good. What should I be looking at next? Then you focus on that. So you're not thinking about marketing. You're thinking about one of those elements, one of those spokes on the wheel and make those incremental changes. And then as you make those incremental changes, you'll start to see the impact that it can have in your business. The world's best buyer persona, if we think of that as a wheel, those eight areas I just shared with you are spokes to the wheel. The world's best buyer persona is the hub of the wheel. Because guess what? If I want, if you want more people to become aware of your brand, do you think it would be wise to know more about those people, to know everything you can in regards to their triggering events, their pain points, their motivations? Yeah, as it becomes to conversion optimization, lead generation, the world's best buyer persona becomes your secret weapon. It becomes the hub of that wheel that makes that wheel spin because it's difficult to have impacts in those eight areas if you haven't put the needed, necessary energy and effort that your customers deserve. Hmm. My man just took us to church. I want everyone to get up on their feet and say testify, take off the hats, wave it in the air. Because I mean, the, the reality is it's like, not only did you define that journey, but you can hear your passion as you were pouring into it. And I think that's probably more important than the, the, the system that you put in place, right? It's the fact that we know by the, that your tonality that you love 
what you're doing. And I think that becomes very contagious. Anyone that's listening to this podcast right now, if your ass is not up off your feet right now, I don't know what else would get you up your feet besides having a fire lit under your ass, literally. Right. So my next question is now that we're on that and then like the blood is pumping, like what words of wisdom, what words of insight would you give to someone as they're facing these persona hurdles? Like they're trying to figure out who they're communicating with. Where are they? What do they like? What do I like you said, there's so many different fragmentations, so many different segmentations. What insight would you give to that person to help them to continue on their journey? Most important information or the, the most important insight that I can give you mm. is build one bridge at a time. Let me tell you what I mean by that. In my agency, we get to dive into hundreds or dozens, whatever that number may be of organizations on, on, you know, annually. And one of the commonalities that we find which causes the most frustration is that these organizations have a inventory of half-built bridges. Mm. What I mean by that is they've got, they've started a project, squirrels, shiny objects got in the way and they stopped, or they didn't get the results that they wanted, or they didn't define success. So they don't even know what success looks like, Mm. but they started down a path and they abandoned that path. Mm. Shiny squirrel kicks in. They're like, let's head down this next path. They head down that path. They don't finish that path. Mm. And then what they're building is this inventory of half-built bridges. They got these bridges that lead them nowhere. So there's a good opportunity. There's a strong possibility that within your arsenal of half-built bridges, you may find one that's 95% complete. Mm. You know what? Go finish that bridge. Don't worry about any of the stuff I'm talking about. Go finish that. It's 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 almost done. That may have a substantive impact on your business. Then look at your inventory of bridges. Is there another one that's pretty quick that doesn't take that much energy and effort where you can define what success looks like? Complete that bridge. And then what happens when you determine that the world's best fire persona is right for your organization, start that, start building that bridge, but don't let shiny objects and squirrels get in the way. Start it, finish it. And what I mean is by complete your buyer persona and then start implementing what that strategy looks like, because with most organizations, they have multiple buyer personas. It's very rare that I run into an organization that just has one. They have multiples. But the the, the advice that I can give you is complete your bridges and just build one bridge at a time, one bridge at a time, finish it, complete it, then move on to the next. It supports your foundation. It supports the rest of the bridge. So this way you'll have more success on everything else that you do moving forward. Yeah. I think that that's, again, I think everything that you said in this particular episode, again, if fire is not lit under anyone that's listening to this episode, I would definitely want to rewind it back and listen to it again. And more importantly than anything else, it's as he's giving these breadcrumbs and, or these bridges, he's giving you actionable items to take to get the results. So why keep sitting on your ass and not doing what he's saying? Step up to the plate and swing at the, the, the reality is it's kind of you going to the baseball analogy. You're not going to hit any balls that you don't swing at. So start swinging it away. And he's telling you exactly where the balls are coming in. That He's telling you what speed they're coming in at. So take the shot, swing at the ball, hit it out the park. So my next question, like based upon that, and again, like my blood is pumping, right? Like your brand, right? You, you, uh, pronouncing it is it yoko yoko pronounce it for me yoko local yoko local obviously that's kind of like a tongue twister kind of like a yahoo like how did you come up with with that name and like what's the definition and meaning behind it so if you go back to what i shared with you earlier when we originally started yoko local uh we saw that the las vegas business community was being decimated they were hurting Mm. right so that's where the word local came in we wanted to help local businesses within their communities wherever their communities were located Mm -hmm. 
But yokel, one of the definitions of a yokel is, is that if you find yourself lost in mm. unfamiliar territory, unfamiliar terrain, you're lost, you're, 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 you're hurting, you're scared, you're terrified, um, you're just looking for safety. Mm -hmm. One of the best people you can come across is a yokel. A yokel is someone that understands the landscaping and the terrain better than anyone else. They have the ability of leading you to safety. For mm -hmm. us, that terrain is this thing we call the internet, this digital landscaping. Mm -hmm. So if you were a business owner, a marketing director, uh, you know, someone that's in charge of navigating this terrain, this digital mm -hmm. terrain, well, find some yokels. They can help you out. That's where the name of the organization come from, nice. helping people out, helping them get to safety. Nice. So how, how do they get in contact with you? I mean, obviously, there's being that you're a marketing agency to a certain extent, obviously, you're probably on all the platforms. So what's the fastest way for someone to, to find you and to get in contact with you directly? So probably the, the URL I've given you earlier, the reason I put that Outsmart Tools uh, URL together is because it makes it really easy to get a hold of what you want to get a hold of. You see, sometimes people want to get a hold of me. They want to get a hold of the agency. They want Yoko Local. Mm. The very top bar on Outsmart Tools is a link that takes you to the Yoko Local website. Some people, they're like, I want you to speak at my organization. They want to go to stormyandrews.com. They click there. Other people say, listen, I don't care about this stuff. I want to buy your book. Okay, the next one's the book. The, the, uh, so I have the, and some people just say, I want some of these free tools or some of the free offers that you have. Mm -hmm. They're there too. So the outsmarttools.com website will give you links to wherever you need to get to. It was designed to make it easy. I didn't want to sit here and say, okay, listen, go to yokolocal.com for this, stormyandrews.com for this, go here for that. Made it easy for you. Outsmarttools.com. As you scroll down the page, you will see, I have, uh, uh, links that will direct you to wherever you need to get to, depending on the resource that you are desiring from me. Very nice, very nice. So going into like the bonus questions, right? And I, I'm, I'm very astute with these because I always like the responses because they're always uniquely different to anyone that I'm interviewing. So the first one I'm gonna ask you is, if money wasn't a factor, would you still be doing exactly what you're doing right now? Yeah, if money wasn't a factor, uh, you'd find me on stages sharing my knowledge with other people. Like I said, I get my greatest joy and, and not just sharing the knowledge. It's the interaction with the people. When I'm speaking to an audience, it's interactive. So if money wasn't a factor, that's where I find my greatest joy because what for me, it's not working. You know, a wise man once said, if you can find something that you would do for free and you're able to do it and get paid for it, are you kidding me? You never have to work a day in your life. Very true. Very true. All right. Another bonus question. If you could spend 24 hours in one day, uninterrupted for those 24 hours, with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? You know, for me, the uh, I've become this Elon Musk fanboy. And uh, I, I think his, his mind, the way he does things, the way he uh, uh, approaches things is incredible. I don't know. I would have to take tons of notes because he's on a level that's completely different than myself, just a completely different level. Everything he does and, and the, what he, uh, he, he, he tackles problems that no one else will tackle. And he'll tackle major problems at the same time. I mean, think about this for just a second. You got a guy that was part of PayPal. That didn't exist before. He tackled that problem, right? But now if you look at what's going on today with Tesla, he's tackling autonomous 
cars. That's a very, very difficult problem. And simultaneously, simultaneously, he's building rockets to take you not to the edges of the solar system or the moon, Mars. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's the the uh, um, getting into the mind or, or learning from someone like that. That type of drive and that type of person is incredible. So yeah, I become an incredible Elon Musk fanboy, and I would love to spend 24 hours. So Elon, if you're listening, my man, uh, I'm here. I'll follow you around and and just you don't have to say a word to me. I will follow you around and just pick up whatever I can because you, uh, what you do is pretty incredible to me. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, for the longest, I've always said Albert Einstein, and I still would want to spend 24 hours with him. But, you know, as of the last year to two years, I've just been saying, Elon, to everything that you said. I mean, the fact that you go from financial to shipping to a certain extent, dealing with eBay, and then now you're dealing with autonom autonomous cars and then trying to go to Mars is kind of like, like any slice, any one of those slices someone could spend 60 years just trying to figure it out. And the fact that he's doing all of them and he's not even like, he's, he's at the twilight of his lifetime right now. It's like, what is he going to do in the next 20 years? That's Absolutely. my next question. What the hell is he going to do 20 years from now? So. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, you know, his, his purpose is just crazy. And then we forgot about Neuralink. You know what I mean? Neuralink is, is a yeah. process that connects to the brain. And then we've got the boring company. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. It's yeah. Incredible. The tunnels. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, and even with the tunnels, it's crazy because he's not just drilling holes, but he's figuring out how to, how to reuse the dirt that the holes are being created from to create bricks. It's kind of like what, like, to your point, he's an amazing person. So going into closing on the podcast, man, I always love to, to, to give the microphone, and I know that you're a fellow podcaster, and you have, like, the, the cool studio set up. So the microphone is yours. You are the host of the show. Is there any questions that you want to ask me? Well, you know what? It's... um. You, you you put me on the spot here. It, it's, you know, I, I was unaware of the fact that you had a stroke in 2018 uh, until you just shared it with me right now. And I, I think that's an incredible testament to you because having family members that have dealt with strokes, I realize how devastating that they can be. And it probably would have been so much easier for you to just say, I'm done. I'm just going to take this easy path. But instead, you stepped out to, to, to help others I, 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 through your podcast. I would like to ask you, what gave you the drive and the motivation and the inspiration to do what you've done to change that trajectory based on what's happening not that long ago in 2018? For me, it was like once I woke up in a hospital and I looked around and like in that, the, the reality of what happened, kind of you have like the whole you look to the light kind of situation, you kind of see like your life pass before your eyes and not to be too cliche. Once I woke up and I realized that first of all, I survived it. And then second of all, I knew there was going to be a journey ahead of me of, of me overcoming all the side effects of what had just happened to me. And I looked at my son and I'm like, you know, at the time, you know, he was like 12 or 11 years old. And I was just kind of like, what did I leave behind as far as a legacy? I mean, obviously there's, there's this capital here and there's insurances and I, I've taught him how to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't leave behind breadcrumbs for him to really follow, to understand what that journey really looks like. And that's when I was like, okay, how do I scale that? How do I magnify that to leave behind these real world breadcrumbs? Like your story, for example, once I'm dead and gone, Tom has passed away and he, he decides or wants to become an entrepreneur or maybe it's not him. Maybe it's, it's his grandkids. They'll be able to listen to this episode and be able to be like, wow, like I got a hell of information, evergreen content. 
And then they become the entrepreneur because of what they're listening to from their founding fathers. And I think that's a missing element to anybody, right? You always wonder who was your grandfather or who was your great grandfather? Who was your great? I heard stories about them, but you don't actually have an opportunity to hear their voice, hear the, their thought process, hear why they're doing it. So for me, that was the change. That was the moment I was like, you know what? I'm going to create as much damn content as I humanly possibly can from this day until the day that I die and leave behind the breadcrumbs, not only for my family, but for all other entrepreneurs and business owners that need this information, they need this insight. And there's only one way to get it to them is to ask the right questions. Absolutely. Wow. So there he is. Is your son 12 currently or was he 12 in 2018? He was 12 back then. He's 15 now going on 16. Wow. Well, you know what? I just, you know, that that, that just shares. Uh, There are things in this world that are so much bigger than us and, and using those bigger things as your inspiration is powerful it's powerful and, and i think that was the difference when i was a youngster i was my inspiration you know what i mean now it's i'm not my inspiration anymore it's it's things that are so much bigger than me and that just makes things so much more gratifying and enjoyable and and that would be the type of wisdom that i would want to go back and learn and apply early on because it's uh it's pretty awesome so thanks for you know th- th- thanks for for sharing that because that's that's huge well, I definitely appreciate you and I appreciate, you know, coming onto this show and, and giving all the insight and the nuggets and leaving behind so many different nuances of trails that people can follow. Like to, to your eight spoke wheel, for example, taking one piece of that and just taking action on it. I guarantee that wherever you are right now in your current struggles, if you segment the things that Stormy is depicting for you, you're going to have results. They may not happen today. They may not happen tomorrow, but they will have happen if you stick to systems that have worked for many other people before you. Yep. Well, I definitely appreciate you taking time out your busy schedule to, to be on, on my podcast today. And obviously I, I look forward to, you know, reading your book and to continuing this friendship offline. Same here. Looking forward to it. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com. Or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss and Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook. Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash freebook.